uh, for the people of Israel who long awaited for their Savior. Uh, but keep in mind, the whole world was waiting for a Savior, and uh, He has come. And our hearts rejoice, uh, not just a few weeks out of the year, but all year long. Amen. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. <clears throat> if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts 20, uh, we're going to continue in our series on uh, loving the church like Christ and uh, looking at the book of Acts, this passage here. Uh, some of you may be worrying, it says, you know, we've yet to hear a Christmas message. Pastor, come on, you're killing me. Tell me next week is going to be a Christmas message. It is. Okay, so let me put your minds at rest. And, um, <clears throat> but uh, I've enjoyed the book of Acts and uh, seeing uh, the acts of the Holy Spirit in the church from its birth, infancy, and as it began to, to grow in maturity. Uh, and now we meet here today, all these years later, 2,000 years later, where we get to meet uh, because Christ promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against it is still true, Amen. And that's why we march on, and uh, we are so grateful for God's work. <clears throat> we, but let me warn, we should never think it's because of our wisdom, our power, our strength, our superior organizational uh, abilities. It's only because of Christ that we still exist. And it's only by His grace we'll exist until He comes and says, come up here. I'm calling my people to myself, and they're going to come, and I can't wait for that day too. Uh, we believe it's nearer now than, for, than ever at, in human history. Uh, we believe in an imminent return of Christ. It can happen any moment. Uh, I know what I would kind of, you know, like it would be now, <laughs> but uh, we're thankful for what God is doing. Okay, <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, and we're going to look at just a couple verses. Uh, I'm going to let you remain seated um, for this reading. We normally stand, but in Acts 20, verse 33, it says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us uh, to see what our attitude, not only as ministers, but as all of God's people, should be toward uh, money and possessions. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would direct our hearts to be content and not covetous. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to take a brief look at where we've been so far. Uh, we've seen five ways that the church can, or how leader can love the church well. Okay, we're seeing this from Paul as he gives a final speech to the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem, where he'll be arrested, imprisoned, and will not make his way back to be able to speak with them. Uh, but this is also ways in which we can love the church well. And this is a, a way for you to know what leaders should uh, be, what they should look like, what to look for in a leader. Uh, but also, it remind you as a church family what you can encourage your leaders in, how you can minister to them and encourage the very best things in them. You know, as church members, we have to get away from this idea that I have this lofty expectation of my leaders, and if they don't meet my expectations, then I'm out of here so I can find someone that will meet my expectations. That is the wrong view of leadership. Certainly, there are qualifications, and they're very important, and the church has a right to expect those qualifications. But instead, we should see it more as a partnership. 
The leaders strive to do these things by God's grace, but then the church family should lovingly encourage them in this pursuit. We're in this together. And it's not like you do your job or I'm out. It's, hey, I'm going to do everything I can as a church member to encourage you in these things. I'm going to love you, support you, pray for you, hold you accountable when we need to, and, but I want to see you succeed, and that is the best attitude to have. Um, leaders want to love and lead well, and a family that helps them do that is so important. We don't need critics. Uh, leaders need co-laborers. That's what we need, not critics, but co-laborers. There's a lot you can criticize about me. There is an endless supply of things that you can say, Pastor Herbert, you fall short in these things. But what I need is someone's going to say, but I'm going to be with you as you grow, okay? And uh, that's going to be, uh, let me say this, I praise the Lord, that's the way this church is, and I am so thankful for it. So uh, we already looked at the leader's manner and his message, and we started looking at his motives. And of these motives, we see God gives four choices that every leader must make in order to be a good leader, to love the church well. Uh, we see, first of all, we choose ultimate eternal joy over happiness. We see, uh, I've already seen, uh, we choose faithfulness over human success, you know, all from this passage, and then we choose choose Christ and his people over selfish ambition. Uh, we put the redemptive work of Christ and his redeemed people above our own desires. Uh, and then lastly, we choose ministry over money. Ministry over money. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, uh, some time ago when I first arrived here, I was told this story. Um, uh, it still makes me laugh. Um, it's a story about a young man who was uh, from Higginsville and he was working for a farmer, and um, he told the farmer, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to be leaving soon. I won't be able to work for you anymore because I'm going to be going off to Bible college so that I can become a minister. And uh, the old farmer looked at him, and with his mouth full of chewing tobacco, goes, yep, that's where the money is. True story. Uh, obviously, he was under some misconceptions about pastoral pay, uh, I know there are some probably, uh, well, I know there are some very well-compensated uh, pastors out there, uh, but most, uh, most of all, you don't get into ministry for the money, you get it in it for the ministry. And, and we all know that we can be tempted by greed, but it is interesting in Scripture that uh, leaders are especially warned of a couple things, the abuse of power, uh, but also greed, <laughs> greed. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's one of the things that disqualify a leader in the church that it, if he's greedy. Uh, you look at Titus uh, 1 and 1 Timothy 3, and it says of uh, the qualifications of pastors and deacons that they're not to be greedy. So I just want to deal with two real brief issues here this morning, and that's uh, these. How to fight covetousness with contentment. How to fight covetousness with contentment. Because this is something that we all struggle with, Okay. Uh, being content in Christ. And then secondly, should pastors be paid? Or we'll say leaders, uh, elders. Uh, so we're going to deal with these just briefly. Let's start with that first thing, contentment. How to fight covetousness with contentment. We're not just talking about any contentment. We're talking about contentment in Christ, right? Contentment in Christ, because content is just saying, uh, I have everything that I need. I'm content. Contentment is Christ. Uh, contentment in Christ is this, Christ is all that I need. I just need more of him. And that's awesome because, you know, Christ freely offers himself and his riches of grace to us uh, with, without reservation. You want more of Christ? He's happy to give it to you. 
And so if you want just contentment, it's like, well, once I get enough, I'll be satisfied. But contentment in Christ is, Christ is, I have Christ and I'm satisfied. So let's explore that just for a few moments this morning. You know, covetousness and contentment is not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. We think my problem is I'm covetous because I don't have enough money. That's not really the issue. It's, it's more that your heart is looking for something that is not yet found in Christ. And that's the real problem. It's a heart issue. Covetousness and contentment are all about what you believe will bring you satisfaction, security, and significance. Now, you hear me say this a lot. I do that on purpose because I'm telling you what, am I uh, cutting out here? Uh, just put, okay, uh, let, me, let me just use the pulp mic. How about that? I'll try my best to stay here. Um, it's all about satisfaction, security, and significance, Okay. Now, uh, these three, three things are important because I believe that every sin issue that we have and ultimately the fears that we have and the poor choices we make come down to those three things. So I'm really trying to drill them into you because I want you to begin to look at your life like, hey, uh, where in my life are these, these, three, these three things controlling me in wrong ways because I'm not finding them in Jesus Christ? And... Uh, Satisfaction is what gives you joy, what pleases you, or uh, where we find pleasure at. Uh, security is what gives you peace, and this really deals with the issue of fear. Uh, really, every time uh, I deal with a, an issue of fear in my heart, it's because I'm not finding security in Christ. It's because somehow I think it all depends upon me, or at least enough of it to where I'm in big trouble. <laughs> and then significance, what gives you meaning and identity? Uh, this is why we're having an identity crisis in America. Uh, people don't know, wow, I'm just all of a sudden right on. <laughs> uh, we're having an identity crisis. People are looking for their identity, and they're finding strange answers to who I am. And they think that they're different people, and they're trapped in a body and stuff. But this goes to the, the issue of where do you find your identity? Where do you find meaning in life? If, if if you're just floating out there and there's nothing to anchor to, you're going to come up with some very strange answers to that question. But as a Christian, we know my identity is in Jesus Christ. He tells me who I am and what I'm supposed to be. And if I anchor to Jesus Christ, things are going to become clear to me, and I'm going to be able to, to fend off those voices around me that are telling me things that aren't true. Because Satan loves confusion, doesn't he? And the more confused we are, the less we can see Christ because we're so busy just drifting out in the sea of just ideas and thoughts and opinions. But Satan knows once we are laser-focused on Christ and finding identity in Him, things begin to get very clear for us. And that's what we're all looking for. Uh, and what you... Uh, trust to give you these things, or who you trust to give you these things, you're going to worship. <laughs> Whoever gives you security, significance, uh, or satisfaction, you're going to ultimately worship. God made us for worship. And the fact is that we're going to worship something. And covetousness is trying to find something in the creation which can only be found in the Creator, namely these three things. And what you trust that to give you these things will ultimately be your functional God. And that's where covetousness comes from. We're saying, i got to have something in order to have joy, in order to have security, in order to have meaning in my life. If I don't have this, then I can't. 
be satisfied. So we crave and we strive and it becomes our God. It begins to rule our heart. That's why twice in Scripture, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, the Bible says covetousness, which is idolatry. See, the Bible knows this. Whenever we expect people or things to give us what only God can give us, we become idolater. And that's why Jesus says, Beware of covetousness, because no one can serve two masters. Either you will serve one or the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Beware. Your heart will go to these things. It'll try to find significance in other things, satisfaction in other things. You have to watch out. You can't serve two gods. One of them will rule your heart. And listen, the one that rules your heart is leading you somewhere. It's leading you somewhere. Uh, I know where Jesus leads. That leads to joy and peace. <laughs> uh, what, what are the three fruits of this, the first three fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, and peace. Those things speak directly to the three things we've just talked about. Peace is security. Joy is satisfaction. Love is significance. Does someone care about me? And he says, hey, for, right off the bat, I want you to know the Holy Spirit gives you these things in Christ Jesus, the things that your heart is desperately looking for. Every sin issue we have in our life, you can go back to what is it of these three things that I'm looking for that I'm not finding in Christ. I'm trying to find in something else. Jesus then conclusion in Mark 10, 23 is how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard to follow the God of heaven when you already have chosen another God, money, and it leads you away from heaven. Uh, sometimes we think covetousness is just wanting something evil. <laughs> Not always. Sometimes it's wanting something that is good too much. It's when you, you say, I, I need to have this thing, and it may be a good thing, even a common grace thing that God gives us. Like, God does provide money to pay our bills. But then we begin, begin to have an inordinate affection for those things because we believe it's going to do something for us. That's when it begins to rule our hearts. And what you trust will rule your heart. It will lead you somewhere. You don't believe me? Look at Romans chapter 1. It says, they knew God, but they were not thankful for him. They became empty in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were dar darkened. You see... Uh, instead of craving God for satisfaction, they chose other things. And you read the rest of Romans chapter 1 and see where it led them. It's horrifying. Matter of fact, it's some of the very things, same things we see today in our world. You know, it, it even gets uglier. Oh, nope, sorry. That's not, not yet. Uh, James chapter 4 and verse 2 says this. Now, I want, I want you to think about what it says here. James 4, 2 says, you lust and you do not have. Lust means crave. Lust is not just talking about um, like adultery or fornication. It means a strong desire for anything that becomes inordinate. Uh, it's not in its right place with Christ being your, your greatest love and these things just being things that he provides. It says, you lust and you do not have. You, listen to this, murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. What is the result of a heart ruled by things instead of Christ? It's a heart in chaos and conflict. 
Now, why is that? Because, you see, your heart is settled on what it wants, and you will use and abuse God and others to get it. No, 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 I would never do this. You start to, when you pray, you use God like a genie. Instead of saying, not my will, but thine be done, it's like, Lord, please give me these things. And then he says no, and he says, well, then I'll get them anyway. And then we start to abuse people around us. We start to look at people as means to an end. Will this person get me what I want? Will this person give me what I'm craving? No, then get out of the way. They become obstacles, and then they become objects of our wrath. Why? Because we want it so badly, we're willing to fight and to even murder, if not murdering physically in our hearts, because we're looking to give for them to give us something, and they're not, so now they just got to get out of the way because we want it so badly. Once this happens, instead of loving God and others, they just become a means to an end. Uh, there's a song, God of Grace and God of Glory. You probably have heard it before, God of grace and God of glory. One of the lines in that song is this, cure your children's warring madness. Rich in things and poor in soul. You see, the song, it dialed right into our real heart issues. Cure our warring madness because we're rich in things, but we're poor in soul. So how do we fight it, okay? We get it. It's bad. Coach just leads down a pathway of pain and suffering. But how do we find it, or how do we fight it? And let me see, I have a passage here. Yeah, okay. We're going to hit in just a minute. I want to talk about how we can find contentment in Christ, okay? Or let me say where contentment in Christ can offer us, okay? Um, remember, it's not just what... It's not just contentment, but contentment in Christ. Not having just what I need, but all that I need being in Christ Jesus. Now, contentment is the opposite of covetousness. Uh, the word covetous or covet means um, a desire for more. That's it. I just want more. God gives me something, I say more. More. My heart is not satisfied. It's just always, no matter what I have, I just want a little more. But it's interesting, the word contentment has the idea of enough or sufficiency. It's like, I'm not looking for more. I have what I need. It's found in Christ Jesus. Contentment is finding Christ so sufficient and so satisfying that we are able to look at what God provides in his providence and be okay with it. Covetousness says, God, you gave me this, but now I want this. I want something else. It's kind of like the you know, child on Christmas morning that's got way too many toys under the tree, and they unwrap one, they play with it, and it's like, toss it, get the next one. Hey, this is cool. And next one. And that's how we get with stuff. We just keep on saying, oh, God, this is great, but you know what would be really nice? <laughs> if I just had this other thing. But you see, contentment is saying this. I'm so satisfied in Christ, I have all I need in him, and so, God, whatever you give me is Okay. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Matter of fact, I feel like you've blessed me more than I deserve. This is way more than I can even imagine. Lord, you're amazing. That's what contentment looks like. And contentment allows us to live in any circumstance. That's what's so awesome about it. 
We don't need to have something else. We don't have to sit there and, and, and stew and say, oh, why does God give that person this and doesn't give that to me? You see, Paul was able to be content in whatever state he was in, is what he said. You see, in this passage, Paul said, I was making tents. And I'm okay with that. You know, he could have said, well, Lord, it'd have been, you know, it'd be much better if you allow me not to have to work so that I can devote all my time to ministry. Paul had already been so satisfied in Christ, he was, listen, satisfied with God's choices for his life. So when God says, you're going to be making tents, he's like, okay, <laughs> that's cool, God, whatever. Hey, listen, you're the one who makes the choices. I'm just satisfying you. Whatever you say goes. I'm just happy to be serving you. Philippians 4, he's able to say, whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, Paul didn't have to work in every place, but he did here, and he was content with it. So it empowers us to live in any circumstance. You can say, uh, Lord, whatever state I am in, I am blessed and I'm happy. He says, I'm, ha- I'm content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to be full, how to be hungry, how to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Because it wasn't the stuff that he was looking for. It was Christ. And Christ gave him all that he needed. And he says, I am content with these things. But it also gives us the power. Oh, there's, there's the verse I was looking for. Okay. Uh, enables you to live in any circumstance, but it also empowers generosity empowers generosity. Notice what he says here in this passage. I've shown shown you that by working like this, we can support the weak, and that Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. People say that, oh, it's blessed to give than to receive. Sometimes I say, who said that? I'll say, oh, that's a good question. I don't know who said that. I say, you know, Jesus said that. (laughs) And you say, wait a minute, I don't remember reading that in the Gospels. You didn't. This is one of the things where God in his, his grace gives us additional information that Jesus said that wasn't recorded in the Gospels. I mean, John said, oh, more, Jesus did more than what, and said more than we wrote down, but this is given to you that you might believe. <laughs> uh, he gave us enough of Jesus' life and, and statements in the Gospels so that we'd have faith to believe. But Jesus said much more. And by God's grace, we actually have this recorded for us. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells, interestingly, the Ephesians, right, the the people we're talking about here, it says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things for us to enjoy. Now listen to this. He's like, man, tell them not to focus on money, man, that's not where it's at, it's in Christ. And to be content with those things. He's given us all things to richly enjoy. He says, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share so they can lay hold of eternal life. He's saying, man, listen, either you can own money or money can own you. But listen, because I'm owned by Christ, he owns my money, (laughs) right? And so what he said was this, they could be generous and give willingly. Why? Because their heart wasn't gripped by stuff, it was gripped by Jesus, it gives us power for generosity, but also engenders trust in God's sovereignty. And in Philippians 4, he says, God shall supply all your need. He goes, as you give to help the gospel go to new places, he says, God will supply all your need. You can trust him. You can trust God's sovereignty. When you're content in Christ, you're saying, whatever he gives is, is all I need. Therefore, you're okay with his sovereignty. If he gives you a little, that's fine. If he gives you much, praise the Lord. But either way, we know. That is Christ that satisfies the soul. So we can believe in this. He says in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, 
Let your conduct or let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Don't be covetousness as you live your life, or don't be covetous. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Now listen, this is a person who believes in the sovereignty of God. They're not living in fear of the future. I can boldly say, what will man do to me? (laughs) He's going to take all your stuff. They're living in persecution, by the way, the Hebrews. They're going to come take all your stuff. And he says, what can man do to me? It can't take away Jesus, and Jesus is all I need. He can, ta- he can have my stuff. They can take it, take it all. It doesn't matter to me. You see, it gives us a chance to live boldly in the sovereignty of God because we're not constantly worried about if we're going to have enough. We're content that Christ is enough, and whatever he gives us is going to be all that we need. It gives us a real power for living. Now, we know this. Contentment leads you someplace, and covetousness leads you another place. And Timothy tells us where. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, that's where that, Jesus is where it's at. <laughs> being content in Christ and, and being godly, that's where it's at. For we brought nothing into this world. We can't carry anything out. You know that. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? You ain't taking it with you. Matter of fact, uh, ancient Egyptians sometimes would put things into their tombs because they believed in the afterlife they would need these things. They didn't have them in the afterlife. You realize that, right? It's gone. (laughs) But what does it say? And having food and clothing with this, we can be content. So that's where contentment, we're content, we're happy, we have joy in Jesus. But covetousness leads another place. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Can you see all the words he uses for pain and suffering for those who chase covetousness? Here's the amazing thing. No matter how hard you try and no matter how much you get, it's never enough and you are always, always full of sorrow and never satisfied. That's where it leads. Let's talk about our second thing. Should pastors be paid? Okay. Uh, some people have used this verse and said, well, uh, Paul didn't accept any uh, money. He, he worked with his own hands, so all ministers should work a primary job and then work secondarily in the ministry and not getting paid for it. And some people are organizing churches around this thing. And that's fine if, if that's kind of where they believe the Lord's going to lead them. But to say that's what the Bible teaches as a whole, is to intentionally leave out a whole lot of other scripture passages. Now, before you say, yeah, pastor, but you know, you get paid, so you you have a reason for saying this. Well, just judge from the word of God, okay? You just judge according to the word of God. So uh, at any, most churches will have uh, both paid and unpaid leaders. Uh, We have uh, deacons who are not primarily paid and uh, and every church usually has this. They have a board of elders, uh, or they have pastors, some of which are paid and some of which are not paid. Um, but why didn't Paul accept pay here in Ephesus? Why did he say, you know, with his own two hands, I provided for my needs, interestingly, and for the needs of my team, for the other people that were with me. So they were actually living off the ministry work of somebody. Wow, I think Satan is just really fighting this morning. I don't, you know, I'm going to stop and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I'm not sure what's going on here, um, but we do Satan is trying to, to, to defeat us, and, and Satan is trying to distract us. So, Lord, I pray 
that miraculously through your power, you would just get our hearts focused on Christ being all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, and if we have to, we'll shut that off, and I'll just speak. Uh, I, for the people who are uh, online I, uh, watching, I do apologize, but uh, you, you really want me to finish this message, and I really want to land this plane. So, um, so uh, what we see here is this. First of all, uh, our gospel mission shapes our strategies. Because here's the thing is, Paul did accept pay in other areas, but in Ephesus, he decided that it was better for him not to. Why is that? Well, in uh, Ephesus, there was the temple of Artemis, huh? and they were known, the priests of Artemis were known to be very wealthy at the expense of the worshipers. And everybody knew these guys were just money-grubbing people. And so when Paul walked in, he said, listen, my gospel strategy is to show people a different gospel, or a, a, a difference and the gospel is the difference. And so he felt it was necessary, and a few other places he did that too. It was necessary to differentiate between the uh, false teachers of the city and himself. And that's why in this area, he actually did not accept it. Our redemptive mission shapes all of our choices. Paul's devotion to the redemptive mission directed his actions, and he felt it was important it was not just a job. He wasn't just working a job and then ministering. It was part of his strategy because in other places he didn't. Uh, matter of fact, 2 Corinthians eleven eight, he says, I robbed other churches. Matter if I just stop right there. I robbed other churches. Uh, so uh, let's see uh, what churches are in town and uh, which ones are least guarded. No, I, I hope that doesn't go out on the internet. So uh, no, but this is what he says. 2 Corinthians eleven eight. I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. He told the Corinthians, in your case, uh, I didn't work a job. I just ministered because other people were paying. He says, matter of fact, the people from Macedonia were giving so that I could minister to you. So he accepted pay uh, from, uh, as a supported church planner. Philippians chapter 4, he tells the Philippians that, uh, hey, thank you guys for supporting me as I was in Thessalonica. You guys paid my, my wages so that I could minister in Thessalonica. So this wasn't a strategy everywhere, but it was a strategy when he deemed it important. Because he said, listen, the most important thing is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is advanced. So if I have to work, I'll do it. If I don't have to and I can have income from other areas, then I praise the Lord for that. Whatever God wants for me to do. Uh, our missionaries today, typically, we support them this way. And so it has to be our gospel uh, mission. Um, elders should not be greedy, but churches should not be stingy. <laughs> uh, why is that? Okay, uh, nothing in the church's business. Jonathan Lehman said that. Nothing in the church's business. It's all personal because the gospel's personal. So the gospel mission shapes our strategies, but number two, the church should be generous because we're family. <laughs> uh, people says, well, I think we shouldn't hardly pay the pastor anything. It's like, well, I'm, I'm your family. I'm your church family. Is that how you treat your family? If so, I'm glad I'm not your family. <laughs> because uh, sometimes people just think, well, you should be willing to live poor. Jesus did. Well, that's true. But is that how you want to treat your family? Because that's what I am, just your church family. Maybe you've heard the deacon's prayer. This is terrible, but it makes me laugh still. The deacon's prayer is, Lord you want your shepherds to be poor and humble like Christ. So you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. <laughs> That's terrible. That is terrible. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Let us do good to everyone, but especially to those of the household of faith. 
especially to those. Really, the church should see it as a gospel partnership. And this is where you get into Ephesians or 1 Timothy 5, 17, which I think is a real critical passage for understanding this. But this is we see it. Say, hey, pastor, I am, I am glad that we all, because of our jobs, are able to give so that you can devote yourself completely to the ministry. We're thankful for that because we're partnering with you. We're glad that you're kind of our missionary right here in Higginsville. I'm very thankful for that. And then you get into the passage, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So there he quotes Christ. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25 in the, um, in the Old Testament. What does double honor mean? Well, uh, all the elders should do some teaching but not all of them accepted full-time pay. So it says, those whose labor is the word and doctrine, they're worthy of a double honor. That's not saying that uh, lay elders and pay elders, that there's two tiers. We all do the same job, but one is just devoting himself full-time to the ministry of the word and doctrine, so he deserves that double consideration, one of respect as an elder, which all of them deserve, but the second is consideration in that we should be helping support him as he does this. That's a real critical passage in understanding that God had intended pay because he says, you should not muzzle the ox while it treads out the corn. We get this. While the oxen was in the grist mill gristing the corn, he was allowed to put his head down and start eating up some of the corn. And they weren't to smack him on the head and say, don't eat the corn. <laughs> That's for us. He says, no. Now, why would the Old Testament do that? Just because it was kind to animals? Well, yes, and, and it is kind to animals, but it's so he could say later, that's exactly how we ought to see people who devote themselves to full-time ministry. They, it's okay for them to receive some of the, uh, to receive compensation for it. And it says a laborer is worthy of his wages. By the way, Jesus said this too. When he sent out the 72 by two, he says, whatever they give you, receive it with joy. He says, a laborer is worthy of his wages. So those guys were paid as well. And so we find um, and then really lastly, uh, look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, and I'm just going to go through this real quick. You can read it later. Now, it might be confusing because you say, in this, it sounds like he's saying he didn't receive pay. It is because he's trying to make a point. He actually brings up the point, hey, it's perfectly right for me to receive pay, but I didn't because I want to teach you how to give up your rights. Now, that's true. Uh, we need to learn to give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. But then he goes through and gives us a bunch of reasons why it's okay to pay ministers. As a matter of fact, most of them were being paid, uh, I should say, um, of the apostles, uh, so they can devote themselves full-time to teaching. And he gives a number of things, uh, like Peter and the other apostles are paid. That's verse 5 and 6. He says it makes logical sense. Soldiers are paid by others. Farmers eat of their harvest, and shepherds get milk from the goats. He says, don't muzzle the ox treading out the grain. He says it's right in verses 10 and 11, if we, if we sow into you spiritual seed, we should receive some, some material compensation as well. He says in verse 13 that those who served in the temple, the priest who served in the temple, they were compensated, right? And it says that those who live the gospel should have their living of it in verse 14. So he lays out that the Bible teaches that it's okay to do that. Now, this is a hard message for me to preach because it bothers me to have to talk about me. Uh, but the fact is, uh, Paul, in that passage, said, I didn't receive it, and we needed to know why. 
and what was his thinking on it as a whole. And so as we close out this morning, oh, that's it. That's what I want to say. Fight covetousness with contentment in Christ. If not, your life will be a string of disappointments and frustrations. Find it in Christ. Then anything he provides is just enough. Matter of fact, it's more than enough. And then treat leaders like family and appreciate their work because we are. We're all in it together, right? And thank you for partnering and allowing me to do what I do. Uh, you guys are awesome. <laughs> so let me pray. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, we think so thankful for this passage of Scripture and how it challenges our thinking about money and uh, also answers some good questions about pay and uh, that kind of compensation. But Lord, what we desire above all is that our minds will be focused on Christ, that we would we would work hard and labor in the gospel, uh, that we would be missionaries. We would always see ourselves as still planting a church here in Higginsville and that we're constantly on a redemptive mission to bring others to Jesus Christ. And that means at times giving up our rights and it means always having our hearts focused on Christ so they can see the difference the gospel makes. So Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we do have a meeting today, and uh, let me say this, uh, last week I was gone uh, at the last moment. We had to go. My mother had a heart attack, and you all have been so awesome in texting me and asking me how things are going. My mom is doing well. She did have a heart attack and did have blockages and several. Actually, let's cut this off the stream. All right. Um, she did have a heart attack and had several uh, very significant blockages.